You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Sam Mattis is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. Two years into his naval assignment in San Diego, and after coming back from deployment, Sam would be in a motorcycle accident. The injuries would result in a below-the-knee amputation about a month into his rehab. He was worried he would never box or snowboard again. But five months after his amputation, he found himself in Vail and back on the board. At this very moment, he is hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, a 2,653-mile journey from the U.S. southern border with Mexico to the U.S. northern border with Canada. Sam, you're on quite a, a journey right now, and, and I, I want to just uh, maybe dive right in. Um, uh, but, but before we even do that, you know, for folks that, that may not know uh, Sam Mattis, let's, let's talk a, a little bit about you. Um, you went to the Naval Academy, right? Yeah, that's correct. I graduated in 2015. Um, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, my dad, he used to be a surgeon growing up. He was a pretty successful surgeon, and he had a whole host of residents that he was training. And one of them in particular, he was always boasting about as a real kind of go-getter, extremely competent. Um, and I just thought he was like the coolest guy in the world when I met him. And so that sort of planted the idea for me. And then a few years later, there I was, so. Was he a Navy guy or a, or a military guy? Yeah, he was a Naval Academy graduate who got the okay. medical option as an officer afterwards. So he had already done some time in the service post-graduation. And now he was, at the time, training under my dad as a resident. So that was at least the impetus behind not only maybe your interest in the military in general, but specifically the Navy and Naval Academy then, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And at the time, you know, there was a, a documentary that they were just releasing about the Navy SEAL training. And, you know, as a 15-year-old kid, I just thought that was the coolest stuff in the world. So those two things combined, I would say, definitely propelled me there. Well, obviously, the Naval Academy uh, headquartered in Annapolis, not too far from our office or and, and where I live. So how was your time at the Naval Academy? Uh, you know, <laughs> the further away I get from it, the more fondly I look back on the time there. <laughs> Sometimes that is the that, case, right, with some of our yeah. experiences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't a very happy camper while I was there. Um, no, but it was a great experience. And yeah, and now I'm very grateful for it all. I think that was kind of, that's that was my take on my military experience in general. You know, when I, when I enlisted in, uh, when, I, when I enlisted in the, in the army, you know, I was 17. I didn't know what I wanted to do. The recruiter, recruiter put me in the position that, that he wanted to to fill and so i you know wasn't fond of that experience but obviously mm -hmm. now looking back further uh i grow just like you grow a little bit more fonder of the experience as days go by yeah. <laughs> so what was your kind of um uh you know i, I don't know i can't remember what the the special the the specific day is when you pick your um you know you kind of you, you pick your 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 job or, or if you will but what 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 did you choose well, uh, I can't say I was the best student while I was there. <laughs> and so I had some limited options, but I ended up as a surface warfare officer. So my first duty station was San Diego and I moved out there right after graduation. And I was on a 
an amphibious docking ship there for my first two years. And it wasn't long after that, after my first and only deployment, actually full deployment. Um, when I came back to San Diego is when I got injured actually. So. Yeah. I was, I was going to talk about your injury. So, but you know, San Diego is not a bad, not a bad duty assignment duty station. No, I, I was, I was very, very pleased to be getting San Diego. Yep. <laughs> I think I was the second to last spot to, to be able to secure San Diego. So yeah. Yeah, I've uh, my wife and I have said that if we ever moved anywhere, it would probably be there. I mean, it just yeah, it's not a bad place. Sunny and like decent temperatures year round. At mm-hmm. least it seems like. <laughs> yeah. So uh, was so was San Diego your only duty station then because of the injury? Yep, correct. Yeah, so I was there just two years really um, before the accident, and then I finished out my five year commitment there. Um, rehabbing and I was uh, actually working for a time at the Naval Hospital there, Balboa. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and finished out my time in the Navy in San Diego, yeah. And uh, so well, let's talk about your injury. You know, I know that maybe folks may not know, you know, uh, the, the history or the story. So, you know, whatever you're comfortable with sharing. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it wasn't long after returning from deployment and you know, I think looking back on it now, I realized that there was a whole host of things I was sort of struggling with as a a young man at that time, sort of living independently for the first time, coming from the Naval Academy and maybe not all the best influences in the world. Um, and then coming back from deployment, sort of dealing with some some strange new issues that I didn't exactly know how to work through. And um Well, anyways, it was uh, a Saturday morning and I got up. I had a motorcycle at the time, a Harley, and I was riding up to a friend's house in Carlsbad, just a little bit north of San Diego, and coming a little too fast out of a turn, uh, my rear wheel skid out from underneath, and I just crossed over the double yellow lines a little bit. It was a one-way road, northbound and south, and an oncoming car pinched my leg between my bike and the hood of her car. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I went flying. I was found like 40 feet from the bike and really all my injuries, you know, really grateful were just my lower limb, my lower left leg. It was all really just the impact of the vehicle and crushing it between the the motorcycle and the hood of her car. And I was brought to Scripps hospital in San Diego. That was the nearest uh, hospital get to. Uh, they stabilized me there. I had a few surgeries and then I was transferred to Balboa where I think I had nine more over the course of about a month and finally had to amputate below the knee. Um, you know, I, by the end of it, I had a pretty severe bone infection, ended up going septic and, you know, beyond that, the damage to my foot and lower leg was my Achilles tendon was it's called degloved, ripped off the back. I had 23 broken bones in my foot alone. A um, couple toes were amputated almost immediately. And then uh, eventually, yeah, my my lower left leg about halfway down below my knee. So so I was within about a month. I mean, there was not really uh, a much of an attempt for, to, for limb salvage then. If, if no. That decision no, was made that quickly. Yeah, the doctors were pretty much talking about that as a very legitimate possibility almost right away. Um, You know, at the time, uh, you know, I had never even broken a bone or anything. Mm -hmm. I really felt like a 
somewhat invincible at the time. So when they came in and told me that every time I, uh, you know, I dismissed it right away. I didn't even give it any thought. But once I went septic, that was, mm. that was when it finally sunk in. And I realized, you know, I, I might actually be in some trouble here if I don't do something. Um, yeah. So the next day it was gone. Yeah. And, and um, obviously being in the military now, were you, were you involved in sports and recreation even growing up like prior to the military? What was yeah, your background yeah, on that? Um, actually, yeah, that was another reason I kind of ended up interested in the Naval Academy was the boxing program there. Hmm, yeah. um, I grew up boxing from a pretty young age competitively. Um, a lot of individual sports, actually, you know, I played football and a couple other things, but really was boxing and swimming when I was growing up were my main sports. And I continued boxing at the Naval Academy for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then just recreationally, I've always loved snowboarding, different outdoor sports like that um, has always gotten me going. So, and, and were you able to continue not only those sports, but I assume you were introduced, uh, obviously, with our, with, uh, with our, like with uh, San Diego's, you know, medical center out there, the Naval Medical Center there, a lot of adaptive sports opportunities. What kind of, during like your rehabilitation, what kind of sports did you kind of yeah. either, either experience, experiment with or be able to continue to do? Yeah, well, one of my first fears was that I wouldn't be able to snowboard again. I, mm. and I almost don't, wasn't even really expecting that maybe to be the first thought, but I, remember when my amputation had happened boxing and snowboarding were at the top of my list of things that I thought I had lost for good and so um luckily I was able to get in the next um organized trip it was a wounded warrior trip to Vail Colorado for a week uh, adaptive snowboarding and skiing trip and so yeah five months after my amputation I was back on a board snowboarding down the mountain I had a fair bit of pain at the time but um that was the first moment, uh, you know, where it set in that it was like, all right, a little bit of work and we can manage to get back to all these things again. And, um, after that started doing some surf clinics in San Diego, those were really incredible. Met some awesome vets doing that stuff were really, really impressive. Uh, but then from there, it was just sort of my own, you know, I always loved working out just in the gym, sort of pushing myself independently. And so that was, um, that was a big ticket item for me. And actually the first thing that I really started doing after I got out of the hospital, I was, even before I got my first prosthetic, my dad was taking care of me in San Diego at the time and he would drive me to the gym and I would go in on the crutches sometimes, you know, with the IV and everything and just try and do some machines. So (laughs) I was always eager to sort of regain, you know, physical independence and sort of feel capable in my body again. Yeah. And and I wanted to um, go back to the snowboarding part, because I know that I like like for some that experience, you know, an amputation or something, um, you know, it, it's either an, like almost a natural transition or I've also talked to folks who, you know, because it wasn't exactly the same that that they didn't want they they no longer wanted to participate in that sport or activity. What what was kind of your initial or even current thoughts on yeah you know it's been pretty fluid it's it's changed a lot over time but one mental hurdle that I had and I still have to this day actually and I think at times it's been a blessing but I really didn't like the idea of anything that I was doing to be um 
to be sort of uh, a significant accomplishment just for the sake of me being an amputee who's doing it. You know, right. I wanted the standard to sort of be, well, it's impressive that I'm doing something or it's challenging because the activity in and of itself is that way. So I think maybe that's how I got interested in what I'm doing now, but also working out. Um, I was very intent on making it look and seem as normal as possible as if I didn't have an amputation. And as a baloney amputee, I can kind of get away with that. You know, it's pretty mechanically easy for me compared to above knee guys and some mm-hmm. other injuries. Um, so I think maybe it was sort of an unhealthy pattern. I was really obsessed with that idea of having to be normal, right? Look normal. And so I don't think I always treated my leg and myself with maybe the patience that I should have um, relearning some of these things. Uh, but yeah, so far it's all, it's all worked out. Well, I, I, I love that thought, Sam, in terms of, um, you know, it really shouldn't be, you know, if it's an, if it's just a normal activity, it shouldn't be special. And, 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 you know, that's kind of one of the, one of the things that movie night I want, you know, always wants to talk about is that people shouldn't be surprised that you're doing, you know, that you're snowboarding or that you're, you know, boxing or that, I mean, it shouldn't, you know, but, but unfortunately in society, you know, sometimes we're still kind of combating that or, or, you know, kind of trying to overcome that. And so I I love, I love that you stated that and, and that when people should be amazed, it's because the activity is challenging of itself for anybody. And that's, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. And, and so, I think that'd be a nice, that's a nice transition into, you know, what you are doing. Um, I think, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm amazed at, at what you're embarking on or currently in the, in the process of, and that's, uh, you know, you set out um, a little while ago to, to essentially hike the, the Pacific Crest Trail, which is, you know, 20, what, 2,600 miles yeah 2650 give or take give or take exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly well, you know yeah. want to make sure we get those extra 50 miles <laughs> yeah. at least right yeah. don't want to short you those 50 miles <laughs> and so the 2650 mile uh, from from basically mexico the mexican uh u.s border to the canadian and u.s border so really the entire you know west coast right is what we would what we would call it yeah. what what um what possessed you <laughs> to uh to want to embark on that to begin with well part of it is just my continued avoidance of getting a real job but uh you know <laughs> when i was my first year at the naval academy during your summers there you don't really get a full summer break like in college you they'll split up your summer break into three blocks and during two of those you have different training options to sort of get a sense of active duty life, what different communities, pilots, surface warfare, Marines might look like. And my first summer, I had a pretty cool opportunity to do a training program. They partnered up with a group called Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School. Oh, yeah. And um, so we went out to Washington in uh, spent just over a month, I think it was there. And backpacking, learning how to read maps and navigate and, um, you know, uh, backcountry, medical care, all sorts of different stuff. And that was my first introduction to doing that sort of outdoor type of activity, long, longer backpacking trips. 
I'd never done any of that stuff growing up. And my roommate who pulled me into that training, he was, uh, he grew up in Connecticut and had done major sections of the Appalachian trail, which is really just the East coast version of this trail, a little bit shorter. Um, and so we, we were talking back then 17 years old in training and, we talked about the idea of doing this trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, when we separated from the Navy. Mm. And um, unfortunately, he wasn't able to join me, but uh, I still managed to get here. So that that was the that's where the idea was planted originally. Okay. And obviously, that's a that's a major uh, a major expedition, major trek. What what kind of things did you do to train? You know, to lead up. You know, to to embarking on a, on a 2,650 mile trek. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, I think I might've been a little overly confident maybe at times, you know, I, I, I knew that I was still taking care of myself and that I was fit, but, uh, you know, even three years post amputation, even honestly, four or five months ago, I wasn't even able to walk more than four miles, sometimes one mile at a time without needing to stop. I would have too much pain. And I think there were a lot of reasons for that. And I'm still sort of learning about it. But uh, I went back home to Minneapolis and found a prostitution clinic there. And just in the nick of time, they were able to finish a new prosthetic for me just a little over a week before I was supposed to start the trail, actually. (laughs) My. (laughs) And, uh, well, I can't tell you how grateful I am for those folks over there because the leg that they made me just completely changed my life. Um, yeah, just I'm able to walk, sometimes almost forget, you know, that it's there. These nagging problems that I had with skin issues and all sorts of different things have all really subsided since getting this new prosthetic. Uh, but no training, you know, I was in the gym every day, even though I was sort of limited in my old prosthetic, I wasn't able to walk very much, but I was doing a lot of, uh, core work, hip and joint strength and mobility work, balance and single leg type of strength work as well. So, and so far it seemed like it was a pretty appropriate training plan. Uh, we made it this far. So, and, and Obviously, at the time that we're we're chatting, where are you now? And uh, and maybe back, back up to even like when when did you depart? And I, I mean, I just want to get into the nitty gritty. I want to talk a little bit about yeah. you know how many miles are you doing a day? What's it like? You know, what are you enjoying? What are yeah. some of your challenges? I just love to all of those. Want to hit you with all of those questions? Yeah, sure, sure. So the trail starts. You can either start from the Mexican border or the Canadian border. Um, really, that will just depend on you know, personal preference and then maybe scheduling. Cause if you started from the North going South, you would start a little bit later in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was permitted to start. I have a permit that covers me the entire distance and my start date was March 17th. And so it's been 50 some days now. And I just completed sort of the first major section, which is this first 700 miles of the trail, which ends just at the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. Um, so I'm officially out of the desert, which my <laughs> prosthetic is very grateful for, <laughs> and uh, heading into the mountains tomorrow morning. So, um, yeah, you know, the first month, it was a lot of uh, a lot of change, learned a lot, and really had to find what my pace was with the prosthetic. Um, you know, dealing with skin issues in the wilderness is a whole other ballgame, keeping it clean. Um, so it was, 
up and down the first month. You'd have, I would have days where I might be able to get 20 miles and then some days that, you know, five felt like a real hurdle. Um, and throughout the time in the desert, it's nice. You've got uh, plenty of opportunities to jump off into towns that you might pass, you know, hitchhiking into different spots to resupply. So there was a lot of opportunity for that, which will dissipate a little bit going into the Sierras. But uh, this last week or two really felt like um, I reached a new sort of level with my leg being able to adapt to the trail and, and the demands I'm sort of putting on it during this. And uh, I was really excited this last week finishing this stretch. I was able to average over 20 miles each day um, for the last seven days, which is a pretty good sign um, and pace going into the Sierras to be able to complete all this. Uh, it normally takes about five to six months, but you just want to be able to finish up in Washington before the winter starts hitting. So right, right. I was really grateful for an, an earlier start date, not only because the desert's a little bit cooler, but uh, yeah, it just gives me some more leeway with, you know, different prosthetic issues that might come up. Um, just some more time and space to be able to make all this happen. So you're really hitting your stride then, obviously, if you're, you know, at this point. Yep, I think we're pretty well adjusted. And, you know, I'm sure the Sierras will be a new host of challenges. Uh, everything's a little different, but I'm really looking forward to this. I've, I've always loved coming out to this area and camping while I was living in San Diego. And so I'm familiar with a lot of these spots, but it'll be cool to travel by the power of my own two feet through all of it. And as you mentioned, you're you're just now getting ready to enter the Sierra Nevadas, so you're hitting the mountains at a as, as things start to warm up, right? So that's yep. a good time to be at a higher elevation <laughs> yeah, uh, where exactly. it's a little bit cooler. <laughs> yep. yeah, it should be nice for us. And uh, are there other folks? Uh, is, is there anybody else with you? I mean, how? Um, and are you packing? Do you? I mean, you're literally packing everything that you you need uh, while you're on the trail, um, yep. or or do you have like a support team or anything like that? Yeah. So, actually, I was um, traveling in Central America not long before when I really hatched the idea to officially do this. You know, it was always in the back of my mind the idea of the PCT. But I think after my amputation, I lost a little bit of uh, confidence in myself to be able to do it, you know, individually. Uh, and I was in Nicaragua chatting with a, a Dutch guy I met, and he, uh, we got to talking over breakfast. Turns out both of us had always dreamed of doing it. And it was at that moment we just decided we'll go for it. And we got our permits just four days later. They opened up the permit uh, lottery, and we both got our same start date. So... He's been hiking with me most of the time, um, and that's been really nice, you know, having somebody along. Just it makes logistically everything a lot more comfortable. Have a little company when you come into camp. Um, but we don't hike together so much. We normally will just see each other at camp during the day. You know, the trail's pretty narrow and can be difficult to have a conversation and whatnot. So during the day, you're pretty much on your own. Um but yeah, you see plenty of other hikers out there, a lot of PCT hikers. Uh, and yeah, we can, we pack everything we need for each stretch that we go through. And that will just depend on how long of a stretch it is to the next town where you might have a chance to resupply food. Um, so sometimes, you know, you could go for two days um, or like this last stretch, we did eight days straight. So you got to pack all your food and everything you need for that time. And, um, 
you know, you're looking ahead at the map, looking for water sources, how much water you have to carry from one point to the next. All that should get a little easier in the Sierras, a little more water, but uh, yeah, that's sort of the pattern here. We'll get into some longer stretches going into the Sierras, some uh, so fewer places to stop off and resupply. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll take it as we go. And, and, you know, like one of my hobbies is, is photography. So like I would be, you know, like taking 50,000 photos, but like, what are some of the things that you are, are doing either just personally, mentally? I mean, like besides obviously the physical component of this trail what are some of the things that you're taking in or enjoying about about this trip yeah uh you know i i love waking up in the morning and being able to meditate and do some yoga before i go um and just the solitude of it it's quiet out there um the faces that you do see end up being familiar friendly faces you know other hikers that you keep running into every however many miles or so um and the nature is just you know awesome and it's to me the coolest part is the pace that you move you know it's under your own power and you do about three miles an hour and you're really seeing everything um and that's just been a ton of fun for me so have you been and the physical part that's really you know if i'm being honest probably the biggest draw um that's kind of always been the draw for me in most things and so just the idea, I mean, just the grand number of 2,000 some miles like that and crossing over the different terrains. And that was that was the major appeal for me. And and do I understand this right, that that you if you when you complete this, uh, you'll be the first amputee to do that? So that's what I thought. But I've heard a story of uh, an older gentleman. I think he was 50 who last year completed it. Um, he wasn't active on social media or anything. I've had a hard time finding him, but, uh, I heard there was somebody last year who beat me to the punch. (laughs) Well, you know, obviously that means it's still not very many, right? (laughs) If you count count on one hand, right? So, and what have you been surprised about? What, what surprised you so far? Uh, well, honestly, the most surprising thing came last week that I was able to do 20 plus miles a day for seven days consecutively. Um, And I think what I was most pleased about was seeing sort of my progress and being able to manage different pain and different issues that I was having and keep myself moving. Um, You know, I think before, you know, even maybe a year ago, the pattern was much more one step forward, two steps back. And, you know, I'd be, stuck and able unable to use my prosthetic for longer stretches of time and so sort of breaking down that wall a little bit for myself and seeing that you know there's a lot more sort of possible with the prosthetic than i had thought for myself beforehand and and are you like when when you uh do complete this what what like what what is your estimated completion date yeah, that's a good question. We'll see how things fare in the Sierras. I think things will definitely slow down at elevation. Um, I hear that Oregon, the train gets a little easier so you can pick up pace, but I'm hoping to be done, you know, on par with any, any other, anybody else that hikes it, which would be about five months. So okay. hoping end of August, hopefully. 
And, and and I know Sam, you have a kind of a philanthropic kind of component to this. You're, uh, can you talk a little bit about? You know, I know that you're trying to raise some money and and do this yeah. in addition, just a the personal achievement and accomplishment. You have another goal as well. Yeah. Well, you know, just since my invitation, I you know I always appreciated sport and physical activity as an incredibly beneficial part of my life. You know, once that aspect of my life sort of falls out of sync, it seems like the dominoes sort of fall in the other areas of my life. Um, and it's become even more important to me since my amputation, of course. And my sister, my younger sister, Maya, who is, I need to mention, supporting me along the trail. Um, mm-hmm. She's loosely following my my progress here. And she's got all my extra liners and different components for the leg that I need and really taking care of things logistically, which is an incredible help for me. Um but anyway, sorry, back to your question. I was, uh, after I separated from the Navy, I actually moved to Guatemala for a while and I was volunteering uh, for the construction of a clinic. It's the organization in the US is called One World Unity Project. And they had secured funding to build a prosthetics clinic in rural Guatemala. And so I was down there working and it was shocking to me, the number of young people and um, who are otherwise completely healthy, who have amputations for a whole host of different reasons. Um, down there, infection, vehicle accidents, malnutrition, things like that. And they just, there was no access. There was no chance of them, you know, being able to get a prosthetic in a place like that. And that was really a powerful thing for me to see, especially younger men um, who would come up to me in the street and ask how I managed to get the prosthetic that I was wearing. And you know, I, I have those days even now, even with this great prosthetic that it feels too uncomfortable to wear. And the whole day is screwed because of it. And you feel limited and, you know, you need help. And it, it just, your, your livelihood, it's, it gets taken from you. Um, and so when I had the idea to do this, that was sort of in the back of my head, remembering some of those folks. And when I found this organization called Right to Walk based out of San Diego, um, I just thought it matched up perfectly. You know, their, their mission is to bring prosthetic care to folks who don't have access to it here in the United States. And, um, yeah, so I partnered up with them just in the nick of time to start the trail, try and raise a little money and some awareness and, you know, hopefully put some, you know, like their, their first, um, client, I guess, was a young kid who was in a terrible accident. And now he's, back in high school and he's got his life back because somebody, you know, put in the time to get him the care. So mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was a cool organization to partner up with and that's what we're working on now. That's, that's awesome. Where, where in Guatemala? I was in Alta Verapaz. It's about five, six hours North of Guatemala city. Okay. In the I, island. I spent, uh, I spent like a week or so uh, um, in San Cristobal on a mission trip and yep. helped help build a school in uh, southern, south of Guatemala City. Okay. Uh, and so uh, I was curious as to where, where you spent your time there. That's cool. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? It's a beautiful country. Huh? It's a beautiful country. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, obviously you're, you're in the thick of this trek, but, you know, what's next for Sam after this? Well, we've got a couple of ideas. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> we'll see. We're just focused on this one for now, but right. uh, I'll definitely give you a call when uh, <laughs> when we're on to the next. <laughs> one step at a time, literally, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you you sharing. We're we're following your your journey, and thanks to Maya as well. She's keeping us apprised of of how how things are going on the trail. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I, I look forward to hearing after you complete, uh, and we can reconnect then. You know about how uh, how things went and and lessons learned. The last question I have for you, Sam, is you know. Uh, obviously, you you decided to take on this this daunting uh, task and and thought. What would you recommend who to others who may think that's not possible for them, or that you know they wouldn't be able to do anything like this? What kind of advice or 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 thoughts or sentiments would you share with someone like that? Yeah, well, I had those thoughts and feelings too. You know, there were days where I had to call somebody to come over and take my dog out in the front yard to go to the to go to the bathroom. You know. So, and there were plenty of those days. Um, so I think I would say my best advice in those moments, you have to be really patient with yourself. Um, and remember that, you know, the smallest thing that you can do is still something that you can do. So even if you can't put your leg on, there's, there's work to be done. And it's those little moments of just showing up every day that, you know, turns, turns those days where you can't even walk out the front door into, you know, being able to do whatever you want. 